This is Creative Mornings, a podcast showcasing the global creative community. This episode is brought to you by SiteGround. SiteGround offers web hosting crafted for the creative community. Whether you're using a custom solution or a popular open source software, SiteGround has plenty of hosting options that your website can grow into. SiteGround, your hosting partner in craft. For up to 60% off, go to siteground.com slash creative. Hey everyone, welcome to the Creative Mornings Podcast. This is Matt, and this week we're revisiting a talk from April of 2016 from Creative Mornings San Diego. Our speaker is Sarah Hernholm, the founder of WIT, which stands for Whatever It Takes. WIT provides a college credit social entrepreneur course to high school teens focused on developing leaders and solving real social issues. Sarah's talk is another on the topic of risk this season, but before we get to that, she was actually in town on business back in the fall. And so we met in person at Creative Mornings HQ in Brooklyn, New York, for a little chat. You're from California? San Diego, born and raised. Oh, wow. Born and raised. I lived there for a minute. Oh, really? Yeah. Very, very quick. They call it Golden Hill. Yeah, I know. know Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For like a hot second, and then you... Right after college, yeah. Okay. It was kind of when you don't realize that life exists on a different calendar, like in a different... Um, you know, then school is September to May. Um, and so senior year, college ends, and we just essentially had a fifth year. Friends and I drove to California and lived there September through May. You know, okay. like it's kind of like your brain doesn't know that you can do things, <laughs> yeah. you know, for yourself in the summer. Um, That's funny. So born and raised in San Diego. Yep. And you come to New York and you're impressed by the brick and the leaves. <laughs> yes. And I go, oh, it's chilly out. I get to wear a jacket. <laughs> uh, yeah. <that's... laughs> and a scarf, and it feels so fall. It's like something different than 75 degrees. Right. So you were a theater major, as we learned yeah. from your... That's right. Yeah, I was like, how? yeah, I did say, I, I shared that. Yes, mm-hmm. as a theater major. <laughs> I was a theater major. I started as a communications major because I thought that I should do something other than theater because I was supposed to sound more official. Uh, but the great thing is I have, I just, well, I wanted to drop out of college and that didn't go over very well with the parents. So I stayed in, but then I got to do exactly what I wanted to do, which was theater. And that was a real gift that my parents didn't put any pressure on me about that, which I'm really grateful for. And where did this idea to work with teenagers from theater major? Oh, geez. Yeah. Fill in the (laughs) fill in the middle. Yeah. So those years you were talking about, yeah, yeah, I had a few of those. Uh, from, let's see, graduated and really just wanted to work in film and television. Did think that I wanted to be an actress, and so I was pursuing that. And then had to get temp jobs to to make that work in L.A. and end up being a temp at Artisan Entertainment, which is an entertainment company, a production company. And I was a receptionist. And I told the HR people that I was going to be the best receptionist they ever had, and they were just like, great just don't fuck up like make sure that all the calls get like transferred to the right people like that's all we need you to do and then uh, a woman that would see me every day she requested me for her temp while her person was out her assistant was out and that person uh, that requested me was Gwen Bethel Riley who's now still a good friend of mine but the best boss I've ever had and she showed me the ropes in um, film and I ended up meeting 
some people in film, John Favreau, Vince Vaughn, to name drop a little bit. But um, then I went on and worked with them on a few projects and a movie. And the last movie that I worked on with John was kind of the moment where I thought all this was supposed to make me really happy, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was Elf. And so if you don't feel like you're, you know, in the best dream job ever after working on Elf, then there's probably something, some self reflection. I was just going <laughs> to say, don't don't ruin Elf on I'm me. I'm not going to. <laughs> No, wait. I'm not, it, I'm not going me. to. Not Please. on record. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Wow. But definitely, um, it's like flying home from that experience and going, I just, I feel like there's something more. And I think that's just, and, and thus is the thread that pretty much goes through my entire life is like that there's some moment that I go, I feel like there's something else. I feel like there's something more. I feel like I'm being led in a different direction than just having the courage to actually listen to that question it a little bit, uh, maybe bounce it off, some ideas off of like my family, the people that I really trust, but then keep going. So then I got into education. From education, I got laid off every year because last in, first out in California. And then I finally just thought, I want to just create something that where I'm working for myself. And uh, that's where Wit was born, but not born into what it is today. I mean, it started as a TV show. It was pitched as a TV show. Uh, of kids making a difference in their communities. Okay, so let me, yeah. can I interrupt? No, no, <laughs> this is great. because it's not. Well, because <laughs> I want to, line. we're going to take advantage of, you know, you're telling the history of wit, but I want to know, I want to know more about, can you explain what it is before, for people who don't know? Oh, sure. So wit is the only 16 at college credit social entrepreneur course for high schoolers in the country. So we take them through a nine month program where they learn how to design and launch a social enterprise they earn college credit while they also launch a real business. And some of them go off to be successful businesses and some fail. And we're fine with both because we think it's really important for teens to have a safe space to to take risks and be brave and try out ideas. And they don't really get a lot of that in school. So it's the real world application of some skills that you're learning in the classroom and getting them into the rooms where they can share ideas and, and start getting things, making things happen. Okay, so then you were saying that it started off as a TV show. Tell me. Yeah, it's because I thought, I you know, I, I still, and I still work in film and TV in different ways. I have a big passion for that. And uh, when I was making that decision to leave education, uh, it was like, what do you want to do? And the question that I asked myself was, if you could wake up every day and do something, what would it be? And it came down to helping youth be of service to others and then just trying to, because I knew the impact that has on self-esteem, self-confidence, et cetera. And then I just had this idea of what if we took shows like Extreme Home Makeover and Oprah's Big Give was out at the time. And I thought, what if we just put a spin on that? And instead of just fixing one house, they always pick this one house and then make it a mansion. And I'm there's, I have my own commentary on that show, but uh, I thought, what about do something in the community so everyone that's working on it then benefits from it? Because if you benefit, you could benefit from improving a community center, a basketball court, a library, and the kids would write in and say, "This is what we want to have fixed," and then we'd show up and say, "Like, ta-da, we're all here," and then do this whole thing. And when I pitched it to ABC, they said, "Okay, we'll go back and get footage of kids doing things because we really don't know if there's enough drama." Mm-hmm. with kids and I laughed because I'd worked as a teacher and I thought oh, there's drama in a 15 minute recess period so I have no doubt there'll be drama in this and uh, in getting the quote footage 
a program was created and the schools were like, Oh, we saw what you were doing at Westwood and we'd love for you to do that here. And we were helping them. And what we were doing at Westwood was gathering footage of kids being of service at their school community and around the world. So they would put on a talent show that ended up raising money to build a water well in Africa. I mean, there's all these things. And, and then the next thing I knew I was in like talking to my dad about finding a nonprofit attorney. So there was a lot of, I would say that it doesn't make sense to sometimes when I feel like I explain it or people's faces are, I don't get it how you did all those things. But to me, it just makes perfect sense. I feel like it all lines up with the life journey. And when I was doing certain things, although it is a little messy, a little twisty and turny. So then at what point did wit turn into what was the earliest uh, incarnation of it as it is today? 2009 was when we were quote getting footage, but that really was running programs and we called it wit kids. And I, I called it that because the classroom motto was whatever it takes. When I was teaching, I had that painted on butcher paper and I put it on my wall because I wanted to create very much a no excuse environment. And uh, I had kids who had parents who were not going to be structuring their day for them and not going to be saying, now we're going to do homework and now we're going to do this. So I was teaching fourth graders that they were going to have to be self-sufficient and do whatever it takes to bring their work in on time. And so it just was a natural thing. I mean, not everybody liked the name when I, when I shared it around the dinner table, but that's okay. It's turned out pretty well for us. So I'm happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) There's always going to be people who don't like something. Uh, And now, you know, we are phrasing and our hashtags are do it. And that's a a lot of it is a lifestyle and a way of just living uh, the principles of the organization. Uh, But yes, it started as with elementary school kids. And then it kind of took it just took off with the elementary demographic. And so then I had brought on a volunteer staff and then we were in six or a lot of elementary schools after school. And then I had somebody ask me, have you ever thought about high school? And I thought, I don't know, but I'll give it a shot. Maybe there's something there hosted a free pizza party, free pizza lunch at a local high school. And of course, everyone showed up for the pizza. And then about 10 really took it seriously and joined the first cohort of high school. And then when that started happening, I really saw the, what we could do with high schoolers. They had more time. They had more resources. Some of them could drive. They could really start creating social enterprises and implementing them in their communities in a way that the little ones couldn't. And the little ones, elementary school programming is saturated. It's a saturated market. There's so many after-school programs for little ones. Not a lot for high schoolers, aside from sports, and then your you know SAT prep and <laughs> all those kind of things. Uh, so I thought there was a there was a market for that, and we put the price out, and people paid, and and then the kids or the teens knocked it out of the park the first year, and I went back to them and I said. I know you're getting community service hours for this, but is there something that you'd want more than that? Because we can't pay you, obviously, but you're making a huge impact. They were getting press, et cetera. And they said, it'd be really cool if we get college credit for that. And so then I went to bat for that for them and, and found a university and got in partnership with them. And that's where the college credit component came from, which makes it very unique and uh, adds value to, you know, a, a form of value to it that not other, no other programming has. And so right now we're, we're talking in Brooklyn, New York, and you said you were here because... The New York City Teens, we just launched in New York in September, and it uh, got off to a rocky start. So anybody listening and thinking that it's easy just because we've launched in other cities that we could come into a new market and just kill it right away, not the case. M- major bumps. 
uh, but we're back on track. And the teens pitched at MoMA on Saturday night with 10 to 12 judges, which are local entrepreneurs and leaders in New York City. And it was just so good. It was, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I got, I got teary-eyed at pitch night. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot in wit about create that which you need. So, because then maybe somebody else needs it too. So think about those things that you wish you had in your life, whether it was a product or a program or a service, and then maybe there's something in that. Maybe there's other people that want it too. So when you see a teen tap into some, to get vulnerable with themselves, real with themselves about something that they need, create something around it, articulate it, share in that pitch the personal moments in their life around why they want this in front of adults it's for four minutes. It's pretty powerful. And they, and they, and then afterwards they're so, they look, they, they're so confident afterward. They just, they, they, they don't think they can do it. And it's our job as the wit team to believe in them so much, believe in them when they can't and then have them go through with something like that. And then all of a sudden they can start believing in themselves. Like they were right. I could do that. I did do that. And you can't take that away. And how many pitches are there? How many students are there? There were 15 pitches, I believe. And uh, ranging from products to programs, I mean, there was, was quite a range. Uh, and I think there's a misconception that people are going to think that wit teens are all the A students and all the extroverts and all the ones that watch Shark Tank and want to be just like that. It's right. not the case. We have kids that are petrified about public speaking and they do it anyway because I, we talk a lot about in wit the reason that you're able to go out there and speak and share is because you should, you are always keeping the people that you're going to potentially be able to serve in the forefront of your mind. It's not about you. If you make it about you, you're going to freak out. You're going to get nervous. You're going to sweat. You're going to mess up. But if you are always thinking about when I go out there, I have an opportunity to use my voice to advocate for those that I'm wanting to serve and help. It allows you to do things that you don't even think you're capable of doing. And it's so brilliant to see 14 and 15 year olds step into their greatness like that. How many cities overall? Uh, so it's, we've got a few locations in San Diego, St. Louis, and then Austin and New York. So now okay. we're in four, probably hang tight a little bit uh, for those cities. And maybe in New York, I definitely want to look at another location offering because in Manhattan, it takes a while to get places. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make sure that our kids can reach the program. And so we might have a, downtown location as well as where we right now we're running it in, out of uh, CCNY in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got teens trekking from Brooklyn once a week to get there, but we want to make it a little bit more accessible. Your risks, your own risks <laughs> in yeah. life, uh, aside from wit. Well, maybe no wit. I mean, wit counts, but I want, I'm curious what some of your, what some of your risks are, were. Well, I think, and this is what I talk about in the Creative Mornings talk, which I just want to say was not my first choice of topic uh-huh. because I knew that I was going to have a choice to be either addressing all the how to take risks and work and, and kill it or be really honest about something that I've been wrestling with, which is you can feel really risky and brave in one area of your life and not so much in another. And how I've been dealing with that and, and trying to address that. And then having this fear, like I'm the only one that deals with that, which is always like, so it's so silly that mindset Mm -hmm. when you really believe that you're the only one that struggles with that. You're never the only one. I know, but it can feel so real at (laughs) 1am. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> that you are really the only one and you have that record playing or whatever the thing is that you're doing and mm-hmm. it can feel like that. So I I will say that I'm proud of myself for not taking the easy route, which would have been for me just to talk about all the risks I've taken in business and give tips on how to do that yourself. And I explored where the shadows of my life and the areas where I wish I had been, wish I could be more brave and take more risk and how I'm trying to do that. So that those areas fall much more in my personal life. Uh, in my, in my professional life, I'm good. Like there's not, it doesn't really feel risky to launch in a new city. It doesn't feel risky to walk into a place I don't know and meet people or uh, go on a stage or go pitch and ask for money for my kids. Like that's not like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't just like walk in. I'm good, but not so much in my personal life. So you're friends with Nate. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm friends with Nate. Nate and I met at another friends event. So a lot of us like-minded folks Mm -hmm. like to hang and uh, support one another. And one of our friends, Randall, is a professor at Point Loma Nazarene. Who te- he teaches entrepreneurship. He's also doing a startup as well. And he had us on his panel for his college kids pitching. So Nate and I sat next to each other, really hit it off, went off and just started talking. And we have a lot of, a lot of, value, a lot of our values line up, which is really helpful in business to have someone to talk to who you feel in alignment with. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd known I had done a few TEDx talks and he said, how about a Creative Mornings? And the first, I didn't really know about Creative Mornings. The only thing I knew was my Uber driver in Austin had told me about Creative Mornings maybe a month before and how great it was. And uh, now that guy's actually running the Creative Mornings in Austin. And when I was in Austin about a month ago, I went to Creative Mornings and he I got to see him. It was, I love... Is that Ben? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been, yeah. It's a wonderful, the world gets richer and more exciting the more lined up you are and living in alignment you are. Because um, synchronicities happen all the time. They're not, it becomes the norm. Kismet becomes something that you expect. Mm-hmm. And that only happens, I believe, when you're really living in alignment. So it's, it's fun to see all that kind of stuff happen. There's a little bit more from our conversation after the talk. But right now, here's Sarah Hernholm at Creative Mornings San Diego on the topic of risk. All right. Okay. So only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. T.S. Eliot. Over the past couple months after I was given this topic of risk, and I do have to say, Nate, that I was, I was allowed to give you like three topics that I was interested in doing. And I remember put, like putting risk on the list. It's like, nah, like that's kind of risky for me to put it on there, but I doubt he'll pick that. And then you came with, so how about risk? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, over the past few months, the journey of looking at my life and the areas where I do go too far and then the areas where I feel almost paralyzed to take a step has been uh, very interesting for me. So because I don't really want to come out of the gates right away being super vulnerable and exposed, I'm going to start with the areas where I kick ass and risk, okay? So one is traveling solo internationally. A lot of people say that that's risky to do, and I say it's pure bliss, and every single woman should do it. Uh, 
being the first on a dance floor. A lot of people say that they don't want to go out there because there's the risk of being embarrassed or laughed at, and I say there should never be a beat that goes undanced to. <laughs> so that's, that's where I go. And the third is an area, um, business. Actually, I take a lot of risks in business. And, and starting back in 2009, I actually left the teaching profession. I should probably explain that I was laid off for, I was pink slipped. So uh, I was laid off for the fourth year in a row. Thank you, California, last in, first out policy. Uh, and because it had happened four times in the row, I, I kind of got this memo that this could happen again and again and again. And I really wasn't interested in living my life like that. So I asked myself a very important question. If you could wake up every morning and do something, what would it be? And during a nice long walk around Mission Bay, the answer came to me. The answer was, I would help youth and help them be of service to others. And for the last six years, I have followed through on that answer. And I created a company called WIT, Whatever It Takes, and we work with high school teens and help them become social entrepreneurs and leaders uh, while also earning college credit from UCSD. And along the way, I've taken a lot of risks or what some may think are risky moves. I've opened up WIT locations in different cities before people thought we were even ready. I've hired people that were underqualified, and I've fired people that were overqualified. Uh, and along the way, it was actually really easy for me to do that because I always had the teens in the forefront of my mind. It was very easy, and it has been very easy for me, to take risks professionally because of who I serve. Uh, it's not hard for me to go out on a limb or use my voice or advocate. I've flown to Sacramento to speak at Senate hearings, and when Marty Block walked out of the room, I kept talking. And um, when they turned off my mic, I kept talking. So it's not hard for me to stand up uh, for youth and to take risks in that area when it comes for advocating for them. But recently, something happened that made me realize that Maybe I'm not uh, so willing to take risks in every area of my life. I had a certain encounter that made me realize that when it came to the area or the business of the heart, uh, I wasn't exactly willing to take a lot of risks. And what I realized in this encounter was that all of a sudden, all those things that are the, that are the telltale signs of risk aversion showed up in my life. All of a sudden, self-doubt came back into my life. I hadn't really experienced that in a while because I've been kicking ass in work and taking risks and feeling successful. And then all of a sudden, I had this level of self-doubt coming in. And then I had this fear of failure, which again is a telltale sign of risk aversion, like run away, you could, you could possibly fail. Um, and I think it was because when it came to this area, the business of the heart, I don't have as many wins as I have in business. And so um, it felt like a risk I didn't want to take. But don't worry, I'm not going to start like sharing my entire personal life with you. That's not what this is going to be about. So. Just relax. <laughs> it's like a true confessional. <laughs> I'm just trying to share that that encounter made me think that 
maybe all of us have an area of our life where we're risk averse, but we don't really notice it because we're over here just killing it, looking like, hey, look at me, I'm like so brave and so risky. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's this like shadow thing happening over here that we're avoiding. And so that's kind of what I wanted um, to talk about today. Because in work, I get a lot of praise, a lot of positive reinforcements. It feels very safe for me. Uh, but when it comes to dating, I feel like there's like this construction sign of like, too risky, too risky. Go back to work. And literally, that's what I've done. I will go back to work, <laughs> and I will launch another business, or I will create another program. But recently, I asked myself, why am I so willing to take risks when it comes to helping other people, but not when it comes to something that could help me? And that really gave me pause. And maybe for some of you, it's where your risk averse looks different. Maybe you kill it in the area of personal relationships, but you're hiding behind some of your own fears and limitations when it comes to work. Or maybe it's really easy for you to step up in the workplace, but when it comes to taking care of your health or advocating for yourself, you're not really willing to take those risks and step up for yourself. Um, or maybe in all areas of, of your life right now, you're feeling kind of stagnant and maybe living a life that would be considered status quo. And I just believe that that's not okay. I think that we're meant to live great lives and we're meant to break through these limiting beliefs so that we can bring our creativity and our full self to the world. And uh, I think that the only thing that's holding us back from making these risky steps and, and risky um, actions in whatever area of your life it is, is the limiting beliefs that we have and the narrative and story that we tell ourselves about what might happen. So for example, you might think, what if I launch a blog and nobody reads it? That means that I suck as a writer. Really? Or maybe it just means that you have to work on your content, or maybe you just have to go look at other blogs that have been successful and get some tips from them. Or maybe it's, what if my client doesn't like my photos or my designs or my videos? Oh, that means that I'm just not even creative. Really? Just because one person or one team doesn't like it, that means that you are no longer creative. That is a very large leap to make. And then what if it's that the investor didn't like my idea? They didn't invest, so that just means that my idea sucks. Maybe it does, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it could. <laughs> um, but maybe it just sucks to that investor, and then it won't to the next one. Or maybe it just means that you have to work on your pitch a little bit more. I mean, there are so many uh, rejection success stories. Harry Potter rejected nine to 11 times, and obviously that turned out okay. Um, Walt Disney was fired, um, what was it, from uh, the editor of a newspaper because he was told that he didn't have really great ideas and he lacked imagination. <laughs> so if you are ever feeling like you are alone in your fear of uh, failing and, and not being successful, seriously, just do what I do. I Google, what, what was the Google I do? Rejection success stories. And then I just like... <laughs> I just started feeling better. <laughs> so, um, and I, I have to challenge all of us on this. And I, and I want to be really clear with you. Everything that I'm talking about, I'm working through, OK? So I'm not up here saying that I got all figured out. I've just been doing a lot of thinking about this, thanks to our dear friend, Nate. So um, I think that sometimes we get stuck and we, in this what-if story because it has become to feel more comfortable. 
um, than, than uh, taking a risk. And I get that. I, I get it completely. I told you, like when it comes to matters of the heart, um, I'm the one that has literally been afraid to, test, to text first because if he doesn't text me back, that means that somehow I'm not wanted. I mean, that is absurd, okay? And even saying that out loud is like slightly embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I was like, very embarrassing. But it's also very liberating uh, because I can hear it and I realize how absurd it sounds. And I think that that's the case for a lot of the limiting stories and the fears that we have. So what's something that you think that you could classify as a potentially limiting belief? Okay, it usually sounds like I can't start a business because I'm not good with numbers. I can't run a marathon because I'm not an athlete. I can't have a relationship because I'm not lovable. These are all limiting beliefs. So I would like you to, I was going to say pull out your pens and paper because I used to be a teacher, but I'm very aware that not many people have, have a pen and paper in their desk. So if you would like to pull out your phone, uh, if it's not already out, um, or you can, just, you can just kind of keep it in your head. I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm not going to pull out my fourth grade teacher like I'm watching. Uh, but if you could take a moment to either think about it or write it down, what would be that limiting belief for you? And to identify it, it usually starts with, I can't because I'm not. So it's like, I can't fill in the blank because I'm not fill in the blank. And it's usually the thing that shows up in your mind just when you're about to take a step in your life that could actually make your life better. It just starts like blaring in your ear. And so just I want to take, just take a minute to think about what that is. Don't overthink it or do. I don't really care, but I'm just going to give you like a few seconds to, to think about that. Okay, so here comes the risky part, the brave part. Who would like to share theirs with everyone? I mean, I'm sure everyone's just like chomping at the bit for 400 people. <laughs> so you do. Okay, can you stand up? Can you use a really loud voice? Hi, I'm Jen. <laughs> Hi, Jen. <laughs> I can't get I, in good shape because I'm lazy. <laughs> okay, so th the fear would be I can't get in shape because I'm lazy. Okay. Who here has had that fear before, that belief before? Look at all your friends. <laughs> Stand up. All of you that had your hands up, put your hands up again. Look at everybody. So in this moment, and I swear she's not a plant, like I do not, I don't know you. <laughs> so I actually told Nate, if nobody talks, I have another option I can go to. So thank you for being brave. Uh, but in that moment, I just want to ask you a question. When you looked out and you saw everybody raising your hand, how did that feel? Pretty, pretty great. Pretty good, because it's what I like to call those me too moments, when you realize like you're not alone with it. And the thing about fear is it tries to keep you thinking that you're alone and that nobody has ever felt this way before. And... In that moment, you realize that there are people that have. Now, I have another question. Who here has felt that way and then conquered that? Oh, look. Stand up. Raise it high. These are all the people that you can go talk to <laughs> and say, how'd you do it? And let me ask those people that had their hands up, how many of you be willing to talk to her? <laughs> See, look at all that awesomeness. <laughs> so the idea is, you, when you have something like that, I think it's, you can sit down, yeah, you, you can sit down, I know, <laughs> you can sit down, I know, it's a lot. 
the idea with this idea of vocalizing these things is that one, it kind of takes the sting out of it, being brave to share it in a space where then some, when you, and then you ask like, has anybody else felt that way? And you realize that they have, you have that moment inside where you go, okay, so it's like, I'm not the total loser. Okay, good. Like other people have felt this way. And then when you say, has there been anybody out there that's like conquered that and like has skills for me, could you help me? And then people do, it's like, damn, you're like one step closer. You're one step closer to facing, to, to getting rid of that limiting belief or that fear. And I think it's, so I want to ask you, and I, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. You don't have to answer because that's, you know, I'm not going to like embarrass you. But um, the important thing is when you identify something that's limiting you is that you really have to take an action behind it. And that's when the change starts to happen. So is there an action that you can take today, even after this event, that would help you combat that? Okay, you could go for a run, and you could go for a walk too. Like you could go for a run walk. You could do, you know, it's like, because sometimes we go like, yeah, I could sign up for a marathon. It's like, okay, yeah, you could, but let's just like, <laughs> let's kind of like, because you don't want to create a situation where you create these, like a huge, like a, a huge next step and then a huge expectation and you can't meet it because then, it, then all that does is confirm and perpetuate your fear because you'll prove yourself right. Once again, I'm lazy and I can't do it because you set too big of an expectation for yourself. So I was not planning this, but I super want to give you like a round of applause. Can we just applaud her? <laughs> I did not, because I just, I just, I think it's brave. I think it's brave to do that. Um, anybody else have one that they, okay, we have one over here. Here, I'll help you up. Okay. You have to face them, though. Okay. So what would be the one that came to mind for you? I don't think that I can be an entrepreneur because I'm too young and scatterbrained. Okay. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Bullshit. My first reaction is bullshit. I know I can swear, so I'm, I'm okay with that. And that's because you're talking to the woman who created it at a company that works with 15-year-olds that are entrepreneurs. So I just know for sure that that's not true. Okay? Um, and so I'm the person that you can talk to about that. <laughs> um, but has anybody, anybody in this room ever had that same belief that maybe they're too young, yeah, too young to be an entrepreneur? Maybe um, you don't have the right education to be an entrepreneur. P.S. I like, I was a theater major. Okay. <laughs> I was a theater major. And then, yeah, it was a theater major with no backup plan. So people would, people would say, you're a theater major. What's your backup plan? Like, no, <laughs> don't have one. Um, and now I became, then I became a teacher and then I became an entrepreneur. So um, there is no, uh, what I hear is what I have to say about that. There is no age limit or requirement to creativity and to, and to the ability to come up with solutions that can help other people. That's, a, that's, a, that's, just, a, that's just bullshit. There is no reason that you have to be a certain age to be able to have wisdom or ideas to how to make the world a better place. We, if anything, the younger you are, kind of like the more fearless you are, is what I found with the youth that I work with, because they don't have, they're not worrying about a mortgage or bills. I mean, I will, have, I will work with, with youth that will say, I'm going to end homelessness around the country. I'm like, okay. So now we want to scale it back a little bit. Just like, let's prove the concept here. But that's how big their ideas are. So who here has been an entrepreneur? Who, had, who, who here is an entrepreneur, but at one point really felt that they couldn't do it, and they really had to break through something to make that happen? Ah, oh, look at all the people you can talk to. Here, what's this guy? What's your name? 
Dave, would you talk to her afterwards? <laughs> Good job. <laughs> okay, let's give a round of applause. Round of applause. <laughs> okay, let's do. Um, we got one more. One more. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, gentleman in the back. Let's just. What's your great limiting belief? Can't finish reading. Can't finish reading a book because you get distracted. Yeah. Um, anybody else relate to that? How many have, how many people have books? I see my neighbor up there. Okay. How many of you have books by your nightstand that are like stacked up that have just like? <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it's because it's not good, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's because it's not a good book, um, and sometimes it's because you feel you feel distracted. So who here has, we we already said that we had people here that have dealt with that. Who here has conquered that? Oh, my neighbor. Working so, on it. <laughs> okay, Trevor, stand up. This is so good when I know people in the audience. Trevor has conquered that. I'm going to tell you something about, what's your name? Edgar. Edgar, I'm going to tell you something about Trevor. If you talk to Trevor, uh -huh. I know him so well, he will make sure that you conquer that. Okay. Because he, he does not believe in, he believes in follow through, not failure, and doing whatever it takes. So he's a good person for you to connect with afterwards. Awesome. There you go, Trevor. I know where you live, so if you don't have that conversation, <laughs> I find you. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, that's. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, that was awesome. Did everybody hear that? What his response was? He's like audiobooks, and then just like sits down. Okay. Um, so what? I, and I have to be so honest with you. I had no idea what was going to happen when I asked that question in the audience. If it was going to be dead silent, we're going to have to move through. So I appreciate everybody just being so supportive of one another. Um, one thing that I'd like you to do, if you feel comfortable doing it, again, it's all if you feel comfortable doing it. If you wrote that down, if you feel comfortable saying it to the person next to you, because here's why. Sometimes when you say this stuff out loud, it takes the sting out of it. You have no idea if the person next to you might have that moment where they go, like, me too, I've done that and I can help you. So if you feel comfortable doing that, Sometimes some of you are sitting with your friends. You can turn to the person next to you and share what that is for a moment. We'll do that. You've already done that. But now it's your job to listen. <laughs> Here's the next thing that you need to do. I'm glad that you share with one another. But, and I'm not going to hold you accountable to this because your life is your life. And, as we say in my organization, I can't want it more than you. But here's the deal. You need to take an action on that. Because just vocalizing it is like, yay. <laughs> OK? Like, but you have to do something about it. Otherwise, it's, you're going to stay stuck, and you're going to stay stagnant. And so if you can think to yourself, what's one action that I can take today to, that will counteract that fear and that limiting belief. Just think about what that is and please try hard not to give yourself some huge goal like I was sharing with our friend here, like please don't go register for a marathon. Please just like maybe a 5K walk or run. Like let's just start, like, start there so that you can really set, your up, set yourself up to be successful because you don't want to per keep perpetuating the fear by setting these huge goals, unrealistic expectations for yourself and then not meeting them. All it does is keep proving it. And so here's the thing that, thing that we have to keep in mind when we are facing our limiting beliefs and facing our fears, we have to start looking around at who we spend our time with. 
some of you are probably very familiar with the Jim Rohn quote, we are the average of the five people that we hang out with. So let's just think about that for a second. Think about your top five. Are you super wild about that average? <laughs> think about it. Think about it. So what will happen when you start facing, when you, st when you start looking at your top five, you might find out that they actually kind of perpetuate your limiting beliefs. So let's say, for example, you've told your friends, I want to get healthy, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, come to happy hour, don't go to the gym. <laughs> That's not really tribe material, okay? And if you've said to a friend, I really want to be in a romantic relationship, I want to kind of stop hooking up, and I want something more serious, and they're like, you know that all guys and girls suck. Like, what's the point? That's not tribe material for that goal. And if you go and you tell your family and friends, I think I'm going to quit my job because I want to go start this thing over here, and they go, really? It's kind of risky in this market to do that. Again, not top, top five material. And here's the thing. Before you think that I'm trying to like blast your friends and family, <laughs> that's not it. They're coming from their own fear-based mentality, okay? They can only offer up what they can offer up. So I don't think that they're wrong or bad for saying those things. That's their belief system. But when you start stretching yourself and facing your fears and getting out of that, there's going to be a shift in your life. And you may lose some things. You may lose friends, family, maybe a relationship or two, maybe some work as you're breaking through and you're challenging these limiting beliefs, you may lose some of these things. And sometimes for people, the fear of losing something actually keeps them stuck. But here's a list of some things that you might actually gain. Yeah, it's the same. Okay. <laughs> you can potentially gain some friends, family, relationships, work, that are more in alignment with your new belief system and your new way of living. So I just think it's really important to acknowledge that. And I know that sometimes it's really hard and change is hard. And as humans, we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. And it makes us feel anxious and weird. But here's the deal. If you're down with facing your fears and limiting beliefs, I would love to meet you. Because here's what can happen. I can call BS on your stuff. You can call BS on my stuff. And together, we can start breaking through and really bringing a fuller, truer sense of ourselves to the world. Because I don't think that life is meant to be lived really great in one area of your life, but like super hidden and stagnant and stuck in another area. I think we're meant to live fully. And I think that that allows us to bring our true selves to the world, which allows us to make a difference in the world. So. Here's what I'd like us to consider when you're taking on the idea of, of facing, or, facing or taking a risk. When we risk, all we are doing is releasing insecurities and strengthening our knowledge. Each time that we are courageous and brave enough to take a risk, we're showing to ourselves that we're worth it and that we matter. And as we do that, we strengthen our knowledge and awareness around our own value and self-worth. And I really do believe that the more we feel comfortable in the unknown and in taking risks, the better, the better we will understand our value and worth. Taking risks and stepping out of our comfort zone is a way of saying to ourselves, hey, you're worth it. So I encourage all of us to do this today. And I encourage all of us to try and go too far today, as T.S. Eliot said. 
and to commit to taking an action today that feels brave and risky. For some of you, that could mean dedicating 15 minutes to a creative pursuit that you've kind of pushed off to the side or entabled. Maybe it's uh, choosing that it's okay not to be right and offering up an apology. Or maybe it's picking up the phone and going after that gig one more time and really putting yourself out there. Uh, but whatever it is for you, I really encourage you and support you in doing that today. And ask you that, how about that, um, let's let today be the day, and this is going to paraphrase um, Anais Nin, but let's have today be the day that when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. More from my conversation with Sarah in a minute, but first, we have to take care of some business. And this week's episode is made possible by SiteGround. This is Maurice Cherry, the founder and host of a podcast called Revision Path. Revision Path is an award-winning weekly showcase where uh, I interview black designers, developers, creative technologists, etc., pretty much from all over the world. And we are on SiteGround now, which is great. Uh, we were on a previous host, which was always a handful of issues, and um, eventually we made the jump to SiteGround, and it's... I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, honestly. What kind of issues? It just became more problems than it was worth. Our site was slow. Okay. The site itself has grown from just being a place where you can listen to uh, the podcast. When people are listening to it, when they hear Revision Path, of course, they're going to go to revisionpath.com because that's just kind of what we're conditioned to do. That's the last thing that you want to worry about. If you've got all this other stuff that you're doing, you don't want to, you know, all of a sudden get email saying that the site is down. And so you're unhappy once you decide to make the move to SiteGround handle everything else? The good thing about SiteGround that I really enjoy is they will migrate you over automatically from your old host to your new host, which immediately takes an entire level of worry off of you. You know, it's one thing to decide, oh, which host am I going to go with? But then you're like, I have to move everything over but SiteGround just made it simple and effortless yeah they're like focus on you we got this. <laughs> yeah they're like we got it and right now you can get up to 60 percent off at siteground.com slash creative siteground web hosting crafted with care your use of crowd participation personally i despise crowd participation <laughs> audience members love it i'm just not one of those people okay but getting people up and seeing their Me Too moments, I thought was really smart. Thank you. I guess that's the teacher in me. Yeah, it came. I it, think it, that's it, the teacher in me. And I think knowing that you got to hit learners at all levels. There's, a, there's visual learners. There's all types of learners in the room. And uh, I knew, I knew that it could go either way. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't realize how many people were going to be in the room. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, I had just flown into town. I, it was, I did the talk in San Diego and I was just coming back from St. Louis. And honestly, and I haven't shared this. I was actually going through like a really tough moment in my life. And I couldn't believe that I had a creative mornings talk. And on a Thursday, wait, is it Thursdays? Yeah. It would be no, it's Fridays. Friday. Friday. Yeah, Friday. So I had the creative mornings talk on a Friday, and then I was giving a TEDx talk on Saturday. And I couldn't believe that I was being called to go on stage two stages during something that was that was going through. And so it was really one of those moments. Where I I think it was one of my best moments speaking because I kind of had nothing to lose. I was in a space feel, feeling very much like I just wa- really wanted to connect with people mm-hmm. and not feel alone. 
and wanted to really bring value. And so I was in a real like earnest place like that, if that makes sense. And now I'm hearing myself talk. And anyway, it was a wonderful experience because I feel like the audience helped me a lot and hearing them share and letting me show up in that way for them felt really, really good. And I think watching the talk, you could tell that they were into it, you know, like that, that, that's because that's, that's where I get. And this, I learned this last season talking to someone about um, empathy because in those experiences, that's not a thing that I, I express. It's, I see somebody about to participate and instead of thinking this person loves participating, they're going to enjoy this moment. I'm thinking this person's terrified and hates being on stage right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that there are people that were, I mean, if you watch the talk, there's people that look a little nervous that I'm doing that, but I have, I really do feel very present with a crowd when I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. I do really feel like it's, it's something that I love to do and I feel such a respect and a, and a value for the people in the audience and I'm never going to let somebody right. feel uncomfortable. I would never do that. And I'll, I'm, it's natural for me to put my arm around somebody or to help somebody through it. Like there's no, nothing in it for me to like make somebody feel uncomfortable. I can tell if somebody was feeling comfortable. I can also tell the ones that are trying to s- go on and on. I mean, you can right. got to rain. Oh, yeah. You got to rain everything yeah, in because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can see anything's possible when you open it up to audience participation. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but it seemed to, it felt very authentic in the, for us to do it that way. So our last question, this is how we end every episode. If you could go back 10 years and meet yourself, what would you tell her? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, we have a wit project. Where te- it's called Project 16. And the, and the whole thing is based on what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? And teens go out and ask adults to stop them on the street and film them. So it makes me think of that a little bit. So 10 years ago, I think it always, always, always comes down to reassuring myself that I am enough. And to walk in the world knowing that. And my 10 years ago, I know for sure that version of myself needed to hear that. And had to hear that everything is working for you. Not happening to you, it's working for you. And I would just give myself a hug. And just let myself off the hook more. Yeah, that's great. Was 10 years ago Elf? (laughs) 10 years ago was the transition of of my in my life okay. of just like no I think Elf was a little bit earlier than that yeah. but just but like yeah there was I've already had three type three careers practice three different fields of work and a drive and a pursuit of things and uh now I'm grateful I don't I'm very driven but not in the, for the same reasons that I was back then I'm glad I've, I'm more on purpose right very cool thank you very much for meeting in person this is fantastic I really enjoyed it thank Great. you Hey, if you like what we do here and you want to support the podcast, please head over to the iTunes podcast page and leave us a rating or a review. Thank you very much. Next week, we'll hear a talk from Alan Graham, the co-founder and visionary behind Mobile Loaves and Fishes and Community First out of Austin, Texas. The single family neighborhood, the American dream, by the way, is sucking the life out of us Americans. We have to figure out how we can change that paradigm by allowing creativity to collide with vision. Our thanks to Sarah Hernholm and everyone at Creative Mornings. This episode was produced and edited by S. Mateo with sound engineering, mixing, and original score by Devin C. Johnson at Little Library Studios in collaboration with S. Mateo Music. This week's rooster comes courtesy of Ibrahim in Tijuana. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Morning. Remember, it's singular. And use hashtag podcastcm when you tweet at us. 
For a complete archive of talks or just to get involved, go to creativemornings.com. <laughs>